Welcome to the Cruciform Life Church podcast, featuring the weekly sermons from our Sunday gathering. Please visit us online at www.cruciformlifechurch.org for more information. Before we go to the Word, I'd like to pray for us. So let's join our hearts in prayer. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we give you praise and thanks for this opportunity to gather together as your people. Lord, you have summoned us to Mount Zion, and we are here in the presence of our God and Redeemer. We give you thanks because we can only do this, we can only make this approach because of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We give you thanks because today being the Lord's Day is this day that you have set apart and blessed a day out of one day out of seven where we could lay aside our worldly cares and devote ourselves in worshiping you, in being in the presence of your church, in hearing the words of the Lord proclaimed to us. Words of life, words of comfort, and challenge. And so now we pray and ask that as we again gear our hearts and our minds uh, to hear from you, that you will attend us by your Holy Spirit. We acknowledge before you that apart from your Holy Spirit granting us illumination, we may hear words, we may understand those words, but our hearts will be left empty because there will be no spiritual understanding. So we ask, O Lord, that you speak to us. We ask, O Lord, that by your Holy Spirit, you powerfully work through your word. And Lord, may you cause your words to effect the change that yet you desire in each one of our hearts. I pray for myself, Lord, as I preach, may all that is from you be heard, and all else fall to the ground. And I pray, Lord, for the hearers, both here and at home, that by your Spirit, you will bless them with your word. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The passage that we will be considering is from Paul's letter to the Colossians. So if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn with me in Colossians chapter 4. We'll be looking at the very last section. This is verses 7 to 18. Colossians chapter 4, verses 7 to 18. Hear now God's word. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they 
will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers of, for the kingdom of God. And they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling in your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Thus far, the reading of God's word. And give thanks to God. This passage, on the surface of it, may appear irrelevant, may appear boring to some. And this is usually the part that we just read through quickly. You know, you're doing your Bible reading, you just read through that part quickly. Uh, these are names, greetings, final instructions. And so we read that and we think, surely these are just housekeeping matters. Uh, we can just gloss over them. They're not so important. They're not so practical. Aside from, from verse 18, the very last verse, where Paul authenticates the letter, he says, I sign it with my own hand, where he reminds his his readers, that he's in prison, remember my chains, and where he gives a benediction. When we read passages like this, perhaps the question that's running through our minds is, what other practical uses are there in this passage? Well, this morning, actually, I want to suggest to us that there is a lot here for us to consider together. While it seems at first seemingly irrelevant, this section, this final section of Paul's letter to the Colossians, actually reveals to us a picture of the essential connectedness of the early Christians on account of the gospel. 
It is a connectedness that should also mark our own view and experience of the church. And so I propose to you what we have here in this section is actually a snapshot of how the gospel of Jesus Christ is a gospel that it's a gospel of peace that pulls people people together so that we might push each other in bringing the gospel to the ends of the earth it's a snapshot of how the gospel brings peace between sinners and god between sinners and sinners pulls them all together into the one body and then pushes them, urges them along in the mission. This morning, the Word of God is teaching us that because the gospel reconciles us to God and to each other, we must seek to be connected with other Christians, with other believers through mutual prayer and support. Now, as our two churches, Cruciform Life, in Pilgrim Community Church, continue to build this relationship and partnership for the sake of Christ. It is my prayer that this lesson that we're learning from God's Word this morning can guide us and can encourage us as we cultivate, as we work together towards a connected church of Jesus Christ. I can't see the screen, but my outline is there. So we have three points that I'd like to consider this morning. Number one, the gospel reconciles sinners to God and to each other. Number two, this reconciliation entails a connectedness with other believers. And number three, this connectedness means mutual prayer and support. Now, I see some kids here. It's nice that you're able to join us for worship. I usually give three key words for our kids, okay? And the reason that I do this is so that I'm sure the parents are listening. So kids, here are three key words for you. You might not understand everything I'm going to say this morning, but these three, remember them so that when you go home, you can ask mommy and daddy, so what did James mean by these three key words? Okay? So here they are. They all start with the letter P. You heard them earlier. Peace, pull, and push. Okay? So let's look at our first, first point. The gospel reconciles sinners to God and to each other. Did you know that there were actually two letters that Paul sent to Colossae, through Tychicus. The first one is this one, which we have in our Bibles. And the second one is also in the Bible, did you know? But it's not called Colossians. The second letter that was also sent was a letter to Philemon, which is also in our Bibles. Philemon was a member, you see, of the church in Colossae. And in Paul's short letter to him, he appeals to him to take back a former slave whose name was Onesimus. But he's telling Philemon, take Onesimus back, this time as a brother. 
Now, it would appear that while he was still an unbeliever, Onesimus had broken Philemon's trust, his master's trust. He had run away, possibly even leaving some debt unpaid. However, by God's providence, Onesimus met Paul in Rome. And he heard the gospel. And he became a Christian. Here, as a demonstration of the powerful reconciliation that the gospel brings about, Paul presents Onesimus not only to Philemon. He does that in, in a separate letter. But he does so also, presenting Onesimus to the whole church of Colossae. And what does he say about Colossae? Sorry, about Onesimus? Verse 9, our faithful and beloved brother who is one of you. The gospel reconciles Onesimus to God. And that reconciliation means a reconciliation with his former master, whom he had sinned against, and also to the whole church. On a more personal level, we also see how the powerful work of reconciliation had taken root in Paul's own experience. Did you notice that? He commends another brother to the Colossians. Verses 10 to 11, Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. Mark is numbered among the men of the circumcision, he says, fellow workers of the kingdom of God who have been a comfort to him. Now, who is this Mark? This Mark had at one time also broken Paul's trust. Just a couple of years ago, Mark had abandoned Paul and his companions while they were out on mission in the region of Pamphylia. Let me read to you from Acts chapter 15, verses 36 to 41, that account. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Mark, John Mark, cousin of Barnabas, had once demonstrated a lack of commitment to the gospel mission. And so Paul did not think it was wise to keep taking him along with him on his missionary journeys. But that was then. This is now. Through God's providence again, and no doubt through his cousin Barnabas's continued encouragement, John Mark soon became a fully committed worker in God's kingdom. 
Who is this Mark? This is the same Mark who penned the second gospel, the gospel of Mark. And while at Rome, he was a close associate of both Peter and Paul, they've been reconciled by the gospel. You know, in, in Paul's last letter to Timothy, that was the very last letter he wrote, he knew his end was about to come. Paul even mentions again Mark. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. You see the power of the gospel at work even in Paul's own life. How it has caused peace and reconciliation to take root so that he is now reconciled with Mark, with whom at one time he had great mistrust. So what can we learn here? The gospel that reconciles sinners to God also reconciles sinners to sinners. The connectedness that we have with Christ, we're united to Christ by faith as members of his body, this connectedness also reconciles us to one another and makes us members of each other. The gospel cultivates a connectedness between true brothers and sisters who have been brought by faith union with Christ into communion with the triune God and into communion with each other. Friends, the gospel is truly amazing. Probably you don't think about it as much. But look around you. Look around in this congregation. How many people in this congregation would you have never met if not for the gospel? Brothers and sisters, to you now, strangers before. You know, this congregation is a lot like our own church in Pilgrim. We're talking to Enteng earlier, asking about the demographic. We have a lot of young people as well, young families. We have all sorts of people who would not otherwise have been in each other's lives, would not otherwise be members of each other, reconciled to one another, united in an unbreakable communion and fellowship of love, were it not for the gospel. There is a wonderful message of hope here for all of us. Sometimes it's hard, I know. Your church is a bit younger now, although there's a prehistory. As the church grows older, as relationships begin to form and solidify, tensions also become more painful. And that is where the challenge of peacekeeping really lies. That is where the challenge to our 
faith really lies. If we really believe that the gospel reconciles sinners to sinners because the gospel reconciles sinners to God, then all of these conflicts are but growing pains. If the Holy Spirit is power, powerful enough to reconcile the profane, the impure, which is us, with the holy God, then there is certainly no human relationship that is beyond the pale of the gospel's reconciling power. And granted, these things often take time. They're very costly. They would entail a lot of discomfort and mess. But our blessed hope remains unchangeable. We are dear Christians. As Paul writes elsewhere, ministers of reconciliation. I really love that term, ministers of reconciliation. Because when people come to me at church and say, I don't have a ministry, I tell them, you do. You have a ministry of reconciliation. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 to 21. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And hear this. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, Paul writes, he continues, we are ambassadors for Christ. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. For our sake, he has made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. My dear friend, if you are a Christian, you are an ambassador. You are a minister of reconciliation. You have a ministry. It is a ministry that far surpasses. It's the most basic ministry that you have as a Christian. Some of you sing. Some of you preside. Some of you are behind the scenes, setting up everything on the Lord's Day. Some of you are involved in small groups. Some of you are encouragers. But at the heart of all of that is this ministry. You and I, we are ministers of peace. We are ambassadors of the message of reconciliation. Number two, point number two. This reconciliation that we're talking about, it entails a connectedness with other believers. You know, in, in Paul's time, the technology for sending communication between persons uh, was quite primitive. And more importantly, it was very expensive, very costly. 
Many more pieces of parchment paper would have been required for Paul to give a full and comprehensive update on his situation or the situation of the church in Rome. The Colossians cannot just jump on Facebook and find out, you know, what's happening with Paul. To get an update, somebody has to go and bring the letter, okay? But Paul's not able to put everything in the letter because that would be so expensive. After anyway, some things are, you know, much better told in person than written in letters. And so for this reason, Tychicus and Onesimus are assigned the task of relating to the church in Colossae, verses 8 to 9, how we are and that he may encourage your hearts, that they will tell of everything that has taken place here. That's interesting, isn't it? Paul is in Rome. There's a ministry that's happening in Rome. There's ministry happening in all parts of Asia, minor. Here in the Lycus Valley, they are eager to find out how Paul is, how the church in Rome is. And so that's what Tychicus and Onesimus are assigned to do. Everything that takes place in Rome, you see, is relevant to the congregation in Colossae. The Colossians had as much of an interest in the goings-on in Rome as they did the latest developments in Laodicea. This is the impression, if you're reading the New Testament, this is the impression that we both we get, both with Paul's assurance of updates through the two men, and his instruction that the letter, this letter, and the letter from Laodicea be exchanged and read. You see that in verse 16. Now, what is that letter from Laodicea? Well, Paul doesn't tell us, unfortunately. He doesn't tell us exactly what the letter to the Laodicea contained. Some scholars have suggested that it was either Paul's letter to the Ephesians, which was very early on a circular letter, a letter that was passed around through the churches. Or it's another letter, which is now lost, that Paul wrote to the Laodiceans. Now, for my part, I don't think there's enough data to, to conclude either way. But I also think it doesn't really matter what that particular letter refers to. That's not the point. The important point is that there was this close connection across the board, across different congregations in the early church. These were not separate, independent churches that were self-sufficient and had no need to know of what's happening in other places. The impression we get from the New Testament is that this is one church of Christ. This is one body of Christ. And so understood in that way, 
we can appreciate that Paul promises to give an update through Tychicus and Onesimus about himself and about everything that's happening in Rome. There was a very close connectedness. There was a very conscious commitment among the early Christians to give full expression to the Lord Jesus' prayer to the Father in John chapter 17, verses 10 to 11, which reads, this is Jesus praying, All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. Because we are all occupied with what's going on in our local churches, it's very easy to look inward. We need to take care of our people, of course, right? That we lose sight of the fact that we are, our congregations are but members of the one church of Christ. If there's anything that I, I want you to notice here in this passage in Colossians that we usually skip, it's that this connectedness is well and alive. Now, earlier, Enteng mentioned that you, your church, and our church, we are on the same journey towards Presbyterianism. That's a big word, but at the heart of Presbyterianism is this commitment to connectedness. We recognize that the body of Christ should work towards unity and interdependence. And so here's, 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 here's a primer on, on Presbyterianism. A Presbyterian church, you will notice the name is always, for example, in ours, it's International Presbyterian Church. It's singular. And it's important that we maintain that because we're recognizing that although there is a congregation here in Manila called Pilgrim Community Church, there are congregations in Europe. There are congregations in England, in, in Great Britain. There are, there are in the United Kingdom. There are congregations in South Korea. But we are the one church at every level. The local level, the session, the regional level, the presbytery, the national or international level, which is the synod or the general assembly. That's what we're seeing and that's what we're convinced is what the Bible teaches, that connectedness. Now, we recognize there are other churches that might approach it differently. Now, we don't have the time to talk about the different ecclesiologies here or the polities. But every church, every Christian should be committed to this connectedness. And when you realize what this connectedness means, it's not just a connectedness even with churches in the same country only. It's with churches all across, all across the globe. 
It is connectedness with the church Catholic. I'm not talking about the big C, okay? Roman Catholic Church. I'm talking about what we confess, for example, in the Nicene Creed. The one holy Catholic and apostolic church. What that means is that when you're reading the Bible, when you're reading about the church in, in Colossae, this is not some distant church that has no relations to me. Tychicus, Onesimus, they are my brothers. They are members of me and I of them. And this teaches us that our connectedness is a Catholicity. It connects us to all Christians in all places and in all time. Something else that you notice here, to back up this point, Paul actually writes to Colossae, right? But he sends greetings to Laodicea, which is a neighboring city. He sends greetings to the brothers in Laodicea and to Nympha, and he says the congregation that meets at her house. He does this by way of Colossae. And speaking of greetings, there's a lot more that we find here. Puro greetings, right? We read of greetings from six men. Aristarchus, Mark, Jesus Justus, Epaphras, Luke, and Demas. Now these six, three of them were of Jewish birth, and three of them were of Gentile birth. They were all with Paul at the time in Rome, and they brought him comfort and encouragement as they ministered the gospel with him. So what are we seeing? We're seeing that this gospel of peace that reconciles us to God and to each other pulls us together to encourage one another, to resource one another, to support one another, to pray for one another. And we shouldn't be surprised because that's what Christ prayed for. This is the natural outworking of the gospel that we should expect and that we should strive for. Now there's one man out of the six that is, at this point in time, we, we don't know, Paul doesn't know it yet, but later on we figure out that he actually leaves the faith altogether. Demas. Demas will later on finally abandon Paul on account of his love for this present world. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10. However, at this point in time in Paul's ministry, Demas was still, for all intents and purposes, a faithful fellow worker of Paul. Which brings me to my third and last point. This connectedness means mutual prayer and support. You know, the example of Demas scares me. The example of Demas' eventual backsliding and apostasy, it scares me. He is referred to as a worker, 
not just a regular attender. He is someone who knew the ministry intimately, who witnessed it firsthand, who was involved with it. But Demas's eventual backsliding and apostasy should reinforce in our minds the need to take seriously this third point, to pray and to support one another as brothers and sisters. Now, as of today, April 30, 2023, 10.55 a.m., I am still here, hopefully faithful and preaching to you. I think my brother Enteng, too, is very faithful. I am seeking, we are seeking with all our might and in reliance on the grace of God to be a faithful worker to the Lord Jesus Christ. You know who else was probably doing this in Paul's time? Demas. Demas. But I, but that I, or that Ente, or any of your elders, any of our elders, will not take the same road that Demas did. I plead with you, we need your constant prayer. I remember Spurgeon said something to the effect, to his congregation that the day that you stop praying for me, let me know. The day you stop praying for me, please let me know. And I'll stop my ministry. We are so dependent on your support and prayer to be faithful, to not fall as Demas did. And that you will not take the same road that Demas did. You also need constant prayers, mine and those of your fellow brothers and sisters and your elders here at Cruciform Life Church. You know, when I, when I was thinking about Demas, I don't do it all the time, but you know, when I was thinking about Demas, I was thinking also about Judas. And usually, Judas is a really bad word for us. If you're called a Judas, <gasps> that's too much. Too much. But as I think about it more, Judas's sin was exactly the same as Demas's sin. And we are too careful often, which is good, to not fall into the same sin that Judas did. But we are less careful that we do not end up like Demas. And I suggest to you that beyond our resolve to follow the Lord, beyond our resolve to not give up the meeting of ourselves together, we need a more involved prayer and intercession for one another. That's the kind of support that we need. We need to embrace this important role 
that we each have in our lives. We all need that encouragement, that comfort, that push, that the knowledge that our mutual prayers and support for each other gives. Now, more practically, the kind of mutual support that Paul has in view here is also material. It's not just thoughts and prayers. We need that. We need thoughts and prayers. But we need each other's presence. Mark, Paul informs the Colossians, will be going on a mission through Asia, and he might pass by Colossae. If he comes to you, Paul says, welcome him. This means more than just a cordial greeting or a selfie. Mark's here, let's have a selfie. Paul's concern is that the Colossians will do to Mark according to the instructions they have already received. And we can only conclude that those instructions involve when Mark comes to you, make sure that you welcome him, he is your brother, he is a faithful worker, and make sure that you send him off with sufficient supply for everything he needs for the next leg of his mission. Our connectedness in the gospel must mean that we would welcome one another in hospitality. We would welcome one another just as the Father has welcomed us in Jesus Christ. It means that we ought to not just call each other brother or sister, bro, sis. We're so used to it. But it means that our actions should show that we're really committed to seeking to fill each other's needs, to outdo one another in good works, in love, and above all else, to see See to it that the church's workers receive all the encouragement and support that they need in order to fulfill their ministries. You know, a few weeks ago, I think two weeks ago, Anteng and I went for coffee and uh, he insisted to pay for my coffee. He even said, You order food, you order food. So eventually I relented. We had lunch together. And then he assured me, he said, bro, don't worry. Our church has been so thoughtful to cover this. There is a revolving fund for ministers when they go out and they meet members and they meet people for ministry. And I I told Enteng, I'll mention this later. He said, no, 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 don't do it. I said, no, I want to because I want to commend your church for doing this. This is the right thing for you to do. Not just for anything. Tatanda rin siya, magre-retiro rin siya. One day, may ibang tata yung pastor. Make sure you do for that same pastor what you are doing for anything now. That's what Paul was asking the Colossians for Mark.
Verse 17, also related. Paul writes, very interesting, right? And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. Now, the command appears to be for Archippus, right? Who is Archippus? Um, the one that planted the church in Colossae, in Laodicea, Herapolis, was most likely Epaphras. He was now in Rome with Paul. That's why he sends greetings. So the one that is left, ang punong abala, si Archippus. Young man, no? Um, and uh, fulfilling the ministry, seeking to fulfill the ministry. The command was for him. But Paul, being the wise pastor that we, he, does, he was, he actually gives the command through the Colossians. He tells the Colossians, you tell him to fulfill his ministry. What does that mean? The command was not just for Archippus, it was for the Colossians also. Paul gives Archippus a much-needed boost and a show of support by reminding him to see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received from the Lord. But he does this through the Colossians. He actually instructs the congregation to say this to him. And the implication is this. Tell Archippus to be faithful. And you, Colossians, don't make it hard for the young man. Support him. Pray for him. Encourage him. You know, I'm encouraged that Pastor Enteng said, you have a young man training for the ministry, a couple of uh, potential leaders. And we have the same in our church. And it's a sad thing for me that sometimes I would hear comparisons in our preaching, right? Because I let my young, young men preach as well. And, 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 and there was one particular time, there was what we, my, my, myself and another elder deemed to be an unfair uh, criticism against my, uh, one of the young men who preaches for us. Sure, you know, he, he's, he doesn't have the same amount of experience that I have, but he's striving to be faithful. And so we should not fault him for being young. We should not fault him for being inexperienced. Rather, we should encourage our young people. You know, I wish there was this class that you could take in seminary that would give you 20 years of ministry experience, and then you'll be a much more effective pastor. But there's no such thing. We all have to go through that journey. It's a painful one. For us and for our congregation, I tell you. But we persevere because of the reconciling power of the gospel. Because of its implication for our mutual support and prayer. Paul is telling the Colossians, Oh, you remind Archippus, huh? be faithful. But by doing so, he's also reminding the Colossians, support the young man so that he can be faithful. Perhaps he's not as good as a preacher as Epaphras. Bear with him. He's still learning the ropes. He's honing his craft. Encourage him. Perhaps he has much need to still gain in terms of 
wisdom and experience in ministry, bear with him. Pray for him. Be committed to his growth and success as a faithful servant of the Lord in your midst. If he is striving to be faithful, appreciate him. Tell him how you are being blessed through his ministry. I'll let you in on a secret. You know, pastors and preachers, we don't need your compliments. We don't need your compliments for our sermon, for our teaching. But what we do need is your encouragement. We are greatly helped by the knowledge that you are praying for us. When you come up to us after the service to give comments on our sermons, we actually appreciate that. But I want to suggest, don't just say, Oh, Pastor, that was very good. I was really blessed. That doesn't tell us anything. In fact, it's dangerous because it can cause us to think we have the power to bless you. We don't. All that power is the Holy Spirit's power. And so I want to suggest to you, rather than tell us I was blessed, that was a good preaching, tell us how the preaching has helped to challenge you to greater faithfulness and service to Christ. Tell us how the, the sermon has helped you to understand this part of God's word better so that you can obey it more faithfully. Friends, that is the kind of push that we need. And so let me conclude with this. The gospel of Christ is a gospel of peace that pulls sinners together in order that they might push each other along as partners in bringing the gospel to the world. Now, for believers, for Christians, this means that we have a responsibility to cultivate a connected church, both here locally and as much as we can beyond the four walls of our church. I don't I know you don't you have open space, no? But beyond Cruciform Life's church. And I'm glad that we're doing that. I'm glad that that um, you know pulpit exchanges like these strengthen that. We're always reminded, oh, you know, we we, we are members also of Pilgrim Church. Pilgrim is also a member of us. A connectedness that flows out of our union with Christ. We must seek to be agents of reconciliation and of love towards one another and to, the, to our neighbors. Not just within our own congregation, but also across the whole body of Christ as much as it relies on us. We must actively pray for our pastors, for our elders, supporting them in the differentiated ways that we can based on our gifts and our graces. Being ministers of reconciliation also means that we are to seek to proclaim the good news that God is 
a reconciling God to all who are as yet outside of Christ. I'm so encouraged that as a church congregation, you've decided to plant yourselves here in Pateros, a very underserved municipality. It's my prayer that as ministers of reconciliation, you will really be used by Christ to bring this peace to your neighbors. And finally, perhaps some of you here today are not yet Christians. Perhaps some of you here, you know, you were invited, and it's great that you're here. You're not sure where you stand in relation to Jesus. I want to encourage you to keep coming. This is a good church, a good faithful church, you know, to, to involve yourself in. But if that's you, if you're here today and you're not sure, but all this, you know, is, is, is stirring out things in your mind and in your heart. I want to say to you, this is precisely the good news that you need to hear today. That in Jesus Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their sins, their trespasses against them. My dear friend, the good news is that salvation is here on offer for you today. Jesus calls you to stop trying to grasp control over your own life or your own world. He calls you to abandon your sins and to put your trust in Him. And I want to say to you, and this is the good news, my dear friend, if you will abandon your self-salvation project, Jesus wants you. He wants you to call upon Him to repent of your sins, to put your trust in Him. And if you do that, now, today, if you believe in Jesus alone to save you, He alone can reconcile you to God, and He alone can effect true reconciliation in your human relationships. And if you believe and trust in Him today, your sins will be forgiven you, you will be reconciled with God. You will have peace with Him. And you will have peace to bring to the world. So turn to Jesus today. Can I pray for us? Let's pray. Our gracious God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that in this short section, which is often neglected, you present before us today this picture of a connected church. Father, this is your desire. This is the desire of your son that your people will be one. Truly, you are a God of reconciliation and peace. And you've demonstrated this to us through your son. And we give you thanks that because of the Lord Jesus Christ, because of what he has accomplished on the cross on our behalf to save us from our sins, he has brought peace. He himself has become our peace. And this gospel of peace, it pulls us together into one body. 
so that by your Holy Spirit, who is within us and working out our salvation in each one of our lives, you can push us along and cause us to push each other along as agents of this peace, this reconciliation in this world. Father, my prayer is that by your Holy Spirit, you will cause these truths to continue to dwell in each one of our hearts. I pray, Lord, that as we meditate upon these things, as we improve on the sermon, that, Lord, you will enable us to truly cultivate in each one of our congregations a connected church that is the hope of the world. We pray these things for your glory in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Cruciform Life Church Podcast. Check out more gospel-centered messages at www.cruciformlifechurch.org or subscribe to this podcast at Spotify.